think I did also forget to dismiss the children beforehand. So if any uh, children would like to uh, be dismissed at this time for Children's Church, we invite them to do so. So for the seven, uh, last seven weeks, we've been looking at the opening two chapters of the book of Genesis, the first book uh, of the Bible, uh, and we've been talking about how this world came into being, how it was originally designed and ordered. Uh, we've reflected on the wonder of creation, that God's creative hand extends to everything that exists, time and space, stars and seas, trees, and tigers, and, and turtles, and people. People who are unique among creation, uniquely created in God's own likeness and image, created with dignity and value, entrusted with authority and responsibility to, to exercise dominion over this planet, to care for it, to steward it well. And he declared that it all exists for his glory and it is all very good. The question that that naturally follows on is surely this. If that is indeed the case and all that he made was for his own glory and all very good, well, then how is it that we now live in a world that is so full of pain and suffering and sorrow and death everywhere we turn. And even as we just pause in reflection um, and thinking on the, the recent days of this week, we, we are again reminded that this world is marred by war and injustice, by horror and heartbreak. Obviously, we no longer live in the world as described in Genesis 1 and 2. What happened? Another way to speak of this tension and disconnect uh, comes by way of an objection made by Sir David Attenborough. I, I mean, few people have examined the natural world more thoroughly than David Attenborough. Like, as the host of many of the finest nature documentaries ever made, ever made he, he has seen more of God's glory in creation than almost anyone. Which is why it's surprising that he opposes the idea that it all began with God. And here's why. He says it in this way. When creationists talk about God creating every individual species as a separate act, they always instance hummingbirds or orchids, sunflowers and beautiful things. But I tend to think instead of a par parasitic worm that is boring through the eye of a boy sitting on the bank of a river in West Africa that's going to make him blind. Are you telling me that the God you believe in, who you also say is an all-merciful God, who cares for each one of us individually, are you saying that God created this worm that you can, that, this worm that can live in no other way than in an innocent child's eyeball? Because that doesn't seem to me to coincide with a God who's full of mercy. And this challenge is both reasonable and widespread. How can our world have begun with the perfect loving God of the Bible 
and yet at the same time be riddled with evil and suffering and death? What happened? It's a question that deserves an answer, which is why Genesis 3 is one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible, for it gives us a detailed account of where it all went wrong. And so this morning, we move on from Genesis 1 and, and, and Genesis 2, where the world was created in the way that God intended to, to be, and we move into Genesis 3, where something new is inserted into the equation that turns it all upside down. So Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to come back again next week and spend more time specifically looking at the issue of suffering and thinking a, a bit more about it theologically and even philosophically and addressing it as an objection to the Christian faith. Uh, but for now, for this morning, I just want us to take our time to walk through this chapter. So then, chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? You know, one of the ways that man and woman were created in the image and likeness of God is that they were created with a duty and a, an authority to exercise dominion over the beasts of the field. And so it's striking that Satan comes in and his initial temptation to Eve starts with him trying to upend God's created order. So instead of man and women uh, exercising dominion over the beasts of the field, he comes as a beast of the field and tries to have authority over them. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, the fact is, God didn't say that. For those of you who know the story, you know that there were two trees in the center of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there were all kinds of other trees in the garden that were beautiful and tasty. And he said, you can eat of all of these trees, including the tree of life. You just can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Satan here, he doesn't even mention the tree of life. He doesn't even mention the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He just says, did God actually say that you can't eat from any of these trees? He's crafty. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. She was paying attention. But God said, you shall not eat of the, tree, of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now again, God never said don't touch it. He said don't eat it. But Satan jumps on this and says, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate crunch. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Just imagine the echoes that that crunch has brought through history. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The story is so familiar, almost over-familiar, that we can miss its power. 
Particularly, we can easily think of it uh, uh, just like a little bit like a, a minor legal infraction that isn't all that bad, like a don't step on the grass and, 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 and think, why did God do that? That, it, that? that doesn't sound that bad. But I'd encourage you, don't think of this as a petty legal infraction. Think of this as a coup d'etat, an overthrow of the government. Think of it as a tantrum. Think of it as an affair, right? It's like a coup d'etat. The serpent says, you will be like God. That's the motive. So you have a line drawn down the middle. On this side of the line is the creator. And on this side of the line is the creature. And that distinction between creator and creature cannot be broken. There's always going to be one God, and then there's everything else that's created by him. But the serpent comes, and sa- comes up and says, that line doesn't have to hold. No, no, no. You can cross over the, the other side. You can be like God. You can be in charge. You can be sovereign. It's like a coup. It's like an overthrow of the government. You see, he's intentionally trying to get her to believe that she's missing out on something. And that God is holding out on her. But what's interesting is, he says to her, you will be like God, and she already is like God. She's created in the image of God. She's already created like God. So what Satan is trying to get her to want is not just to be like God, but to be God in order to be able to be in control of her life, to have her own standard for living. God has given this moral dire- directive, don't eat this fruit, and he's saying, I want you to challenge that idea. So simply by challenging her and, and saying, listen, you won't surely die. You're, you're, you're going to be like God. It causes her to walk down this rabbit trail of beginning to believe that maybe God is wrong. Maybe, maybe God is not good. I, I mean, it does seem a bit extreme. God says, you eat this fruit, you die. I mean, that just seems very, very extreme. So it's a coup. It's an overthrow of the government. Or it's like a tantrum, right? You will know good and evil. You will be able to make a choice as to whether or not you can do what you want. You, you will decide. I, I, th- I think this is right and, and that is wrong. You decide. And even though it costs you your happiness, you might still want to consider it. Now we say that, that, that it's like a tantrum because that's what human beings do when we have tantrums. I mean, I mean we, know, we know that the quickest route out of a tantrum is to say you're sorry and admit that you're wrong. And it, 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 when we do that, it, it's to drop our independence and our pride and to lay hold of happiness. But what human beings did and what we still do is to say, even though it will make me unhappy in the end, I'm going to choose my independence and my pride and my stubbornness because that is what I want. That's what tantruming, tantruming children and, if I'm admitting it, tantruming adults sometimes still do. And that's what they did. They said, we have a choice between trusting God and living in joy forever or rejecting God's word and deciding for our, ourselves uh, and, and being in charge. And, and, and we can choose between independence and happiness. And they chose independence. And people still do. That's what we do when we have hissy fits. 
That's what Frank Sinatra was so proud of when he sang my way. The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. It doesn't matter that it made me unhappy sometimes. I did what I thought was right. It's that incredibly foolish poem, Invictus, that sometimes is quoted as if it's heroic, and yet ultimately at the root, uh, it's at the root of what's wrong with us. It, it matters not how straight the gate or how charged the punishments, the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. It sounds heroic until you realize that's what they did. They said, I don't care what makes me happy or, or everybody else, you know, what makes me unhappy or, whatever, or everybody else unhappy. I will do what I want, come what may. That's what they did. It's a tantrum. Or you could think of it as an affair. Donald Miller, the writer, tells a story of a friend of his who came home uh, from work to hear his wife on the phone uh, to another man explaining how much she loved being touched by him and all this. And he can hear it, but she can't see him. And he hears the phone call without saying anything to her, and he just leaves the house in a daze. He gets in a in the car, he drives downtown, he buys a, a pack of cigarettes, even though he doesn't smoke. He walks around town, smokes the entire packet of 20, ends up buying a, t- a bus ticket to Pittsburgh from Baltimore, and then misses his bus because he's feeling so space. And then he ends up vomiting into this filthy toilet because of all the cigarettes he smoked, retching and seeing his life disappear down the toilet with it. And Donald Miller says, I think Eve... I think in Eden, God must have felt like my friend in Baltimore. I have been betrayed. I have been cheated on. I have seen the one that I love turn their back on me and go off with somebody else. I think that's how I would read a phrase like when God says, what is this that you have done? You know, sometimes we can read a phrase like that and think, what is it that you have done? I think this is a different tone altogether. I think this is, what have you done? My child, my lover, what have you done? It's an affair. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, when God created all the trees in Eden, he made them beautiful and delicious. There was no reason to believe that the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil was not also beautiful and delicious. And so she saw it, and it looked beautiful, and it looked delicious, and she now hits a decision point. You know, often we, we think about the story as in, you know, we have the, the picture in our heads of all of the famous paintings. You know, you've got Adam and Eve, and strategically placed plants and and you know there's a snake there and there's an apple i don't know why it's always an apple it doesn't say that at all but but it, it, it's all happening in this one context but we don't know how long this took he tempts her then it says so what when the woman saw and so now it could have been seconds it, it could have been right in that moment it could have been days we don't know But she's got a decision. On this hand, you've got a tree that's beautiful with fruit that's delicious. And you've been told that it will make you more like God. 
On this side, you've got God's moral directive where he says, if you eat of the fruit, you're going to die. Will she believe her own experience and her own reasoning or will she believe God? Will she believe that God is good or will she believe that God is holding out on her? She's got this tension point. She's, she's, She's got to make this decision and this is a universal experience. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about God's design for human sexuality. And we talked about the design and purpose and and parameters for our sexuality. And anything outside of God's design is not only sin against Him, but it's also damaging and destroying of the image of God in men and women. And we talked about that two weeks ago. And as we did, I knew full well There were those of us who, while we may be affirming what was said as biblically true, we were or still are living out of accord with God's plan and design in terms of our sexuality. Maybe it's in secret, not known by others around us, but we know we are living out of accord. And I know that when you heard it, you were holding the same tension that Eve was holding. You're like, this is beautiful and delicious, and this one is a moral directive from God. Will I believe my experience and my own reasoning, or will I believe God? Will I believe that God is good, or will I believe that God is holding out on me? We face that decision day in and day out. Day in and day out. We face it every day. We face the same temptation Eve, Eve did. Satan says, in not so many words, is God, God is asking too much of you. The consequences seem a bit extreme. It's not really that big of a deal. We should be in charge of your, you should be in charge of your own life. He says it to Eve. He says it to us. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I love that image. God is out enjoying his creation. And the man and, the, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he, sur- and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The first consequence of the fall is, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed together fig leaves and made themselves loincloths. They went from being unashamed to being ashamed. They went from being naked to being exposed, feeling vulnerable. God's like, listen, where did you get the category naked? Everybody's naked. The elephants are naked. The monkeys are naked. You guys are naked. You don't even have a word for clothing yet. Who told you 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 were naked? 
Did you eat of the tree? It's like they suddenly became aware of how vulnerable they were because no longer were they safe in the loving arms of God. They had ventured away from him and started a new affair, a new relationship with somebody else, and they weren't sure how it was going to go. And, 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 and a lot of, of safety and security that they had had now disappeared. And people who are supposed to get <coughs> all their affirmation and security from God, when they suddenly lose him, they, we, feel incredibly exposed, vulnerable, naked. And we try to cover ourselves and hide in order to stop ourselves from being exposed to the world. And we immediately pretend. We put things over ourselves. And to be honest, friends, we have been hiding ever since that day. As a human race, we've been trying to protect ourselves and cover ourselves with things that will stop people from seeing who we really are ever since that day. Because we became vulnerable and exposed by our decision to reject God. And when the hiding doesn't work, we turn to to blaming. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, gave to be with me, she gave me a fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Adam's like, wait God, before you get all accusatory, the woman, she grabbed the fruit and handed it to me. And by the way, God, let's not forget, you gave me the woman. Clearly, either her fault, your fault, not my fault. And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. There was a talking snake. He tricked me. It wasn't my fault. And this pattern of sin that Adam and Eve fell into is the exact same pattern of sin we continue to fall in every single day. We sin, we hide, we blame. You know it. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you know this to be true. We do something that we know is morally wrong. We just know it. What do we do? We hide. We don't want anyone to see what we've done. Now, you'll know when you're, you're hiding when it comes out into the light and you freak out. I mean, you, you send a gossipy email out about someone and it gets forwarded to them or someone accidentally replies all and you freak out because now your sin is not hidden. It's out there for everyone to see. And now what do you do? After you sin and it's come into the light, you blame somebody else. You say, how dare you forward that email that I sent just to you? Again and again and again. We sin, we hide, we blame. Now, God doesn't play that game at all. He, he, he asks the question, did you eat of the tree? And then when, when they get into this whole blame game, he, he doesn't play. Uh, the, the Lord God said to the serpent, because, because is the word of consequence. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and and, and you shall bruise his heel. Serpents become a symbol of the fall from that point forward. Lowly, frightening, 
Even Indiana Jones doesn't like them. At odds with humanity, nipping at humanity's heel until one day, and we'll get to this in a moment, an offspring of Eve crushes the serpent's head. And it's not just about serpents, it's about Satan. He is now completely dogging humanity from, from, from that point forward. And the temptation is the exact same temptation as with Eve. Listen, God is asking too much of you. The consequences are a bit extreme. It's really not that big of a deal. You should be in control of your life. And then sin devastates. It devastates relationships. We see it right here, what it does to a husband and a wife in the, in the curse. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. You want to know where the pain and childbearing comes from? It's part of the curse. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now that sentence right there has caused a lot of ink to be spilt as to what it means. There's a lot of debate over that. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And as they say, there's a lot of disagreement as to how to best understand this. But, but here's what one commentator says. Desire has the sense of possess, control, direct, or dominate. This meaning of desire in Genesis 3.16 fits with the sentence as a whole as the woman's actions, actions finds a reciprocal action from her husband. She desires to possess or control him and he instead to rule over her. Interesting, the word desire in this passage only appears two other times in Scripture and one of them is on the same page. And it gives us a, a good parallel context. And we'll, we'll cover this in, in a... Uh, uh, on a coming Sunday when we, when, when we come to, um, you know, where God's talking uh, to Adam and Eve's son Cain. And he, but what he says is, if you do well, will you not be ex- uh, accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, Cain. Its desire is for you. Same word there, but you must rule over it. What we see here is this, this desire is connected to this rule idea. The woman now, a proclivity of women is, women is, is, is either to treat their husbands in an idle way where they lift him up over God, which I have not seen happen very often, or, and I think from human experience this one lines up, she will de- desire to control or to dominate him. She grabs authority from her husband like Eve And in response, he dominates her. This is the curse. And sadly, it's a feature of our fallen world, isn't it? The rule of love founded in paradise is is replaced by struggle and tyranny and domination. Strife would now persist in domestic relationships. Women over-desire, men over-rule. And how many marriages have we seen this play out? Where a wife, like her mother Eve, takes control from her husband of the home, and he, like his father Adam, either becomes super passive and just sits there on the couch, or he becomes domineering. And the idea, the beautiful picture of the husband and wife working together that we see in Genesis 2, where he's lovingly leading and she's helping keep him on the rails, it all becomes completely tainted by sin. There's just something in our male and femaleness that just gets jacked up by the fall. 
But sin not only devastates marriage, the relationship between men and women, but sin also devastates our work. The ground which yielded such wonderful fruit in Eden now becomes stubborn and, and full of toilsome weeds. Verse 17, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, because, again, the word of consequences, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Because of sin, what was easy will now be hard. I mean, we're still created to work. It's part of the creative design. But he says now that work is going to suck. It's going to be hard. It's, it's part of the curse. Now, if you stop the story there, it's nothing but tragedy. It is the worst story in the world. But the God of the Bible is committed to rescue and restore, and, 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 and he is committed that hope will have the last word. And, and so there's the, this gospel promise that he gives that we quickly passed over, but I want to return to it before we close this morning. And surprisingly, the first gospel promise in the Bible is not given to the man or to the woman or to the angels. It's given to the devil. It's given to the serpent. This is what God says to the serpent. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that promise sets the stage for the next 10,000 years. You and the woman are going to be at war. You're going to fight. You're going to hate each other. Your seed, your offspring will fight her, her seed across the generations. And one day, you're going to strike her seed on the heel. And you are going to think that you have, take, have taken him out. But at that moment, when you think you've conquered, her seed is going to strike your head. And you will never recover. So enjoy your day in the sun. Because a snake crusher is coming. And that promise of the gospel, given as we've just seen to the serpent, is, is vital to understanding the rest of Genesis and everything else that we're going to see as we go through this book, right? These different stories about this often bizarre, messy family. We're going we're gonna to be going through the book of Genesis and saying, I've heard this promise. Okay, there's, there's to be enmity between your seed and her seed. So who's her seed? Where is he? Where is this great hero that I'm supposed to be looking for? Who is this snake-crushing seed who is coming to crush the head of the snake? Who is he? That's what reading Genesis is like. We are reading Genesis in search of the seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of the snake. And so Eve has some sons, and we go, is it Cain? No, it's not him. He's a killer. Is it Abel? No, no, he's dead. Is it Seth? No, no, he died as well. Noah? 
No, no, he's a bit of a drunken embarrassment. Abraham, closer, but still no cigar. Isaac, he's a bit of a partisan old fool. Jacob, he is, he is a total rascal. You can't trust that guy with a secondhand car. And so it continues. And with each generation, the promise is deferred and yet restated. In your seeds, all the nations will be blessed. In your seed, all the nations will be blessed. In your seed, the nations will come and they will bow down. Your seed, your seed, until one night in another Middle Eastern garden, a young Jewish man is in prayer and temptation comes to him. He is in a garden and where Adam had said, not your will, but mine. This Jewish man says, not my will, but yours be done. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest you reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God's response to Adam and Eve was consequence and grace, justice and mercy. They deserved death. He said, you eat the fruit, you die. And what did he do? Killed an animal took the skin of the animal, made clothes for Adam and Eve, covered over their sin on a sacrifice that was not theirs. Mercy. And he kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, and that was one of the most merciful things he could do. He put a lock on the tree of life. One of the most merciful things he could do. He could do because can you imagine if you were in a world where people sinned and they hid and they blamed and they never died that's why God says listen if they now eat of the tree of life and live forever so mercifully he chases them out of the garden because God had another plan and it's foreshadowed in the entire story. It's foreshadowed in the fact that the serpent would one day be crushed by an offspring of Adam. That one day a man would come who would crush Satan. When God takes an animal and sacrifices and sheds its blood and takes the skin to then cover Adam and Eve's sin, it is again a foreshadowing of Jesus whose blood was shed and poured over us to cover over our sin. And this Jesus will now one day give us access again to the, the tree of life. If you go to the very last book of the Bible, to the very last one, if you go to, to the, uh, in fact, to the, to the very last chapter, it's, it's right before the maps, uh, Revelation 22, last chapter. This is, this is the future. This hasn't happened yet. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. That's Jesus through the middle of the street of the city, 
also on either side of the river, the tree of life. That's a big tree. It's on both sides of the river. With its, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Jesus is the light that shines on our sin and we don't need to hide. We can't. And we don't need to blame because Jesus took our blame on the cross when he died for our sins and he hands us his righteousness, the keys of the tree of life. He died so that we may live. You see, we sin. We hide. We blame. And Jesus saves. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to share communion together. In a moment, we're going to break bread together as a way of demonstrating and celebrating the death of the Lord Jesus, the seed of Eve, of Seth, of Abraham, of all the others in this book. We're going to keep coming back to it. We're going to keep seeing, and I hope this doesn't spoil the ending, but we're going to keep coming and seeing that he is the one to whom the rest of the, boy, the, the, rest of the book points as the champion and the snake crusher who will come. And so let's pray.